Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right. What is going on, guys? Today, we have none other than everybody's, everybody's buddy, Mr. Sam. I mean, he's friends with everyone at the track. I've seen him going to the track for the past couple of years now. He's been... Watching and enjoying all of the shenanigans that, uh, how, how would you even put that? You've been just, you've been supervising shenanigans before I even knew you. You, you know, kind of this on the starting line. probably, it's like a dream come true. I, I wake up sometimes and think I ought to pinch myself and see if it's really real or going to get back into some other world. And it really is. It's a dream come true because, you know, you get to go to the track and see a lot of the guys you already know. And before long, be participating in the sick week thing we're going to do, mm-hmm. and that again. And now I'm building my own car, and it's it, it's surreal. It really is not to, not to coin someone's term, but all this stuff you think about through your life, you think, oh, that'd be nice, it'd be nice, and you put it off for whatever you're raising a family or working a job or whatever, and then you think, man, I'm getting on in here. Is this ever going to come around? And all of a sudden, it's just plop right in your lap. It's like, wow. And it's, it really is. It's what I love. I don't have uh, in close proximity to the track, so anytime I hear noise at the track while well, I'm over there. But it's so much fun to get to be around the guys and gals, a lot of gals in it too now, and to see what goes on and know what goes on behind the scenes. It's, uh, it's a different thing. It's what America used to be. It really mm-hmm. is. You know, it's what America used to be. Is, uh, yeah. And this racing group, if you will, I know it's USA-wide, it's the cohesive part of the U.S. I, I think it's just my own thoughts, but it's what I think. Because anywhere you go, racers are all the same, you know. You want to go faster, do this, do that. And you can be at a race and beat somebody in a race. And if you get out on the road and break down, if you beat that guy, well, he'll stop and help you on the road if you broke down. I mean, then it's something they don't go by and throw stuff at you. It's just it's incredible. Isn't it? Yeah, it's a really yeah. unique experience that... We've been at plenty of races where we beat the person and then he pulled the alternator off the car or something because we needed it for next round. <laughs> Think about that. It's amazing. you know. They, and, and there's no other group of people or communities like that. Most of them are just dog-eat-dog, dog, all for themselves, and it's not into it. But in this community, now, we do compete with each other. Oh, competitive. Talk a lot of trash yep. about it. But and when it comes down to it and it's all over with, like, back to back to where we were because so much stuff we share is common you know the and a lot of the things that we do to these cars is common some of the stuff you keep to yourself on it but uh there's so many ways to find out stuff now that you, like, you can't hide much you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that, with the internet kind of opened it up to everyone internet opened everything up and they'll put a draggy on your car and it's like we know what you've done already <laughs> yeah well i always joke about that with the no time stuff is i can i can put a video into my computer <laughs> And I can tell you from when the green light was lit and when the when the uh, light at the end of the track was lit, like yeah. I can tell you how fast a car is yes. within a couple thou of a second. <laughs> I and, can go frame you know, by frame. There's, everybody can do it. The competitor can do it. 
and, and you're like, no, no, no time. They've got to paste all the No time's now. Okay, but, but now, I mean, used to, a long time ago, that was, yeah, that was, you could do that. And, and nobody would know, but now, nah. It's just, they're going to know, but it's okay. I guess a lot of people, you got to, no time on it, no time. And then I don't want nobody to know what I'm running, or maybe I've got some kind of secret weapon or whatever. Okay. Everybody knows within a few tenths of each other. <laughs> sure. Within like a tenth or so of each other. <laughs> yes. Thank you. The variation's not huge, especially no. in that that style stuff. Do you feel like you've lived basically like multiple lives? Because whenever I talk to you, you're like, oh, dealership, or when I was in, you know, the military, or when I was in Germany, or when I was in, like, it almost sounds like you've... I tell you, you you've well summed that up. I've probably had, within my lifetime to now, at least five distinct careers, you know. Like careers, eight. careers, like multiple years. Yeah, I had multiple years in the service, had eight years in that. Then uh, when I very first started out, worked in the dealership, and you all of the parameters of that. Then worked in a machine shop, worked in a tool and die shop. I mean, the and they're kind of segmented, you know, like some of them, now it all kind of fits together, but, and who would have thought this? But this would be way back in the back of your head, and you run around like a madman when you're trying to, Raise a family, get all the stuff, and you're like, oh no, it'd be nice to do that, but you you can't. You get to watch it race occasionally, and then here it comes around. But it's like now, uh, or I owned a business downtown. Uh, me and a friend of mine from Indiana, that we manufactured polishes, waxes, compounds, and sold it. And uh, that's a few years back. So that's how I got in with this group I'm in with now. And now. I, you know, they make products for me now, for my line of products on it, which is kind of, it's different, but uh, you, you, the shoe's on the other foot now. Yeah, you became the customer of your old and brand. And it's such a, and it is that, you know, when you go in there, now you're a customer and you're going over stuff that you, you think you know the answer to it, and you pretty well know the answer to it on it, but now it's on their side of the fence and you're over here now, like, it's, yeah, well, you're our customer now. Okay. But going back to that shop, it's like, Okay, yeah. And then even some of the people that I had hired before you know, when we had the business, well, they'd ask you questions, and I'd say, no, I'm not, I'm not in it no more. I, don't, I can't do supervisory <laughs> stuff on the thing. The new owner does. Wrong person. <laughs> Wrong one, I mean. No, yeah. I, can't, I can't do the supervisory stuff. So it's, Where did the I, detailing side of things come from then? Because I always have noticed that people with military or service backgrounds are detail-oriented on cars, like, Keep it clean. In the the military, not to cut you short, but in the military, a lot of the stuff, and I worked on jet engines and jet aircraft, and it is so detailed and down to very precise, both in the work you do and how you attend to it. Because the aircraft had a logbook that went with it, and it had all the write-ups about if there was something on the aircraft, you had to make a log of that. And there were certain conditions that, you know, would ground the aircraft. And then when the pilot came out to fly it, well, even the thing with the fine tooth, well, because his life's in the cockpit now. Mm-hmm. So anything that was wrong, you know, it could be a, you get good or bad marks, you know. And then when your line supervisor come around, and especially if you had to, uh, a flight didn't make it because of something you'd done, oh, that ain't good. Because those pilots, they count on those hours or stories. Yeah. For, you know, for them, it's, you know, it's how they get their rankings too. So it's extremely detail-oriented. Then... When Rick and I done this business here, I taught a detail class every week for, gosh, 28 years. And it was to 
it was more of a how, it wasn't really a detailed class, it was a how-to class, you know. People would say, okay, how do we color sand? How do we do this? How do we do this? And it wasn't so much to sell the products as it was to how to. And that's really what it was, is how, how do we do this? And you could show them, okay, here's, here's the technique to do it. I mean, this is the way that I do it. It may not be the best. There's other ways. Mm-hmm. But here's, and that's, if you got down to the, okay, why are you into the detailing? Well, you know, there's more to it than just that. Because everything, every job you're doing requires some detail. It may not be shining the thing up with a car. But it does require detail as to what you're doing. Say, when you're putting all the assemblies together in a car, there's details to it. And you leave some of them out, and you'll know about mm-hmm. it, as you well know. You know. So, but it has been a such a storied life so far, my goodness. I, I could write a book about the thing, but it seemed like fiction because so much of the stuff, y- you would never have thought it at the time, and then it comes around. It's like, wow, that actually happened, yeah. Because I got to do a stint in the war, mm-hmm. and... Uh, it, all that stuff, and it, it was too young and stupid to know you could have got killed. <laughs> it's just like, oh my, well, that's the way it is. I think, honestly, you probably should write a book. I, I, I feel more people should write books. I, I think it's, um, it's a good legacy to leave. And I think written word is um, it's a very, like, very profound and like, magical format that no, the video stuff you're correct you're very correct we've uh, gone so far into the video stuff now that it's almost like a nice backwards mm-hmm. refresh of it and and you know when you do have the printed word and if it's worth people's reading they refer to it they go back and, and you say well they could go back on the video well they could but it might get erased or whatever might happen on mm-hmm. the thing but if you've got it down in printed form it becomes a treasure to some people, you know. I mean, yeah. not even to your own family when you, when you go on uh, something in the printed. And the stuff that I was thinking back the other day from when I very, very first started in a Chevrolet dealership. Well, what prompted the thought, last week the Snap-on guy came by. And I remember when I started the Chevrolet dealership, uh, the Snap-on guy came by and he said, hey, you're new here, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, well, I can be your buddy. And I said, well, I've heard. And he said, well, if what we start with? And I said, well, to start with, I don't have any money. And he said, that's okay. So what do you need? And I said, everything. And he said, all right. And he had a box in the truck, had a box and, and the tools, and you're immediately in debt. I mean, but you got your tools to work the next yeah. day, you know. And then at that time, I was paying $25 a week, which that was big money, you know. And now that's nothing but $25 a week. And then... Seemed like each week there'd be some new tool relative to what you were working on that all of a sudden you just happened to have that tool. Like, well, it's only 50 or 60 or 80 or $100, you know, and like, oh, yeah. What year would this have been? Oh, gosh, that's 1964. It's that's nice to know Snap-on back. hasn't changed. <laughs> right. I, matter of fact, I took in a, a ratchet today to the Snap-on guy, and I said, this is from an original starter set on it, and it needed a screw up in the back portion of it. And he said, you want to trade it in? And I said, no, it still works. So he put me a couple of new screws in it. And it was from my original set then. And it didn't just lay around. I mean, it's, it's had a lot of work through the years. And it's, uh, but I think back through that and what we had then, I didn't do engine or tune-up work then because a, a fellow was my trainer. He said, do the hard parts. And I said, what do you mean the hard parts? He said, well, do like brakes and front-end stuff and bushings and the front-end and all. He said, that's where the money is. That's where the hours is. 
And he said, them glorified guys over there doing the tune-ups and all like that. He said, yeah. He said, they get too much comeback on that. He said, your stuff you can see. Mm-hmm. I said, all right, I'll do that. And, you, and the guys in the tune-up, he said, they'll take all the glory. He said, you don't get no glory if you're working on brakes and front-end stuff. But it was, it was good. I enjoyed that. So you were working in a Chevy dealership when the muscle car was born. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like when it, when Chevy was like, we're going to make a Corvette and a Camaro and Camaro to compete with the Mustang. 1965 GTO. And they're like, GT, what does that mean? It's Gran Turismo Omlogata or something like that. That's what it made, what the GTO stood for, you know? It's like, yeah, it's like a, 389 engine with a four speed and a four barrel and all this stuff, you know, like, wow. And then Oldsmobile made one, a 442. And that was a four barrel, four speed, dual exhaust, you know, that's kind of the thing. And then, of course, Chevrolet had theirs. And then Ford had theirs. Everybody, and Chrysler had theirs. Everybody's on the bandwagon. Yeah. But it was in that era that you got to see the stuff, you know, like, mm-hmm. and now there's a lot of these things now, you know, well, look, go to the racetrack now and look at the 67 through 69 Camaros that you have people. They're not racing them in that form yeah, yeah. they were then, but they still got that body shell. You know? Like the Novas and stuff. The Novas, the, the Camaros, and a lot of the Ford stuff. And the Chrysler's, you know, this weekend they had a, oh, a lot of the Chrysler stuff over there. And they had some of the old, some of the new. It was. There's just something so different to what I've experienced in life to think back on the stuff that I've seen, like the old mm-hmm. footage of the cars that originally yeah. came out, like, all the astronauts were driving the Corvettes at that time. And like the cool factor of that era that I was so far from it getting to experience, unfortunately. (laughs) And it's just, there's something, there's something awesome about that era. And it's that era has really carried to now. One of my, and I think we're right at the end of it. (laughs) Yes, we are. We're coming into the E era. And one of my early trainers, and I start off on flatheads, if you can believe it. Uh, and, you know, the Corvette came out and had a six-cylinder in it, and they're like, ho-hum. But at the time, I was working on a lot of flatheads just in early training before I went to the dealership. And because there was not too, oh, probably 15 miles from my home, there was a dirt track. And a lot of guys racing my mold, like 40 Fords and stuff like that, that had, uh, had oh, my, had them flatheads in it. And it was fun. But it was fun. It was just a start. And then you get to meet people like a, Fireball Roberts, and then a Pender Fox, and folks like that, that you uh, think, at the time, yeah, they had a shop down the road, so to speak, but now then there's like, you got to meet them, yeah. And then people like Fred Miller, who was one of the distinguished engine builders, and then it was a... So what dealership were you at? Where was it? There's one called Apple Tree Chevrolet. It's in Asheville, North Carolina, and that was a, wow... A long time, my goodness, that's a long time ago. But can you imagine back in the 60s and now we are in the 20s turning the thing? Oh, my, it's a long time ago. Oh, but, I mean, there's so many people out there listening that envy seeing seeing those cars in their in their heyday oh, when they were the cream of the crop. When it was in, he'd going into the Chevrolet dealership in the morning, and of course he had a service rider, and he'd have stuff lined up outside already, and then have uh, by then, you know, we went to work at seven. And he'd already have your bay full. And uh, the front end guys, I had two bays. and Because uh, you'd have brakes on one, be waiting on parts to get there if, if we didn't have them in, in a dealership. And then you'd be putting, doing front end parts, say like bushings and upper A-frame bushings and stuff in another one. And he'd already have your stuff lined up and more waiting outside. But 
it was just common to see, you know, your 55 Chevrolets and all the stuff was out there. You know, it's like, it's like, well, that's what it was. You know? mm-hmm. And then you had uh, 59 Chevrolets, 60, 61s and all that stuff. And, and then someone would come in with like a 63 Chevrolet, four speed, 409, two fours and all like that. And it's like, okay, somebody put some money in that one. But it's just common stuff. you know. Yeah. And it's like, Okay, what are we doing to this one? Well, be careful with that one on the thing. That's real specialist or that. And they had, then there was uh, the, the 348 and the 409. It's kind of a, a weird-looking engine on the way the heads were on it. The, uh, the combustion chamber was inside the chamber. You know, it wasn't up in the head. It was inside the chamber because the valves were flat on the head. And, you know, we were thinking, oh, is this the next generation of stuff? Now that didn't last long. Then they went to the... 427s and all that sort of stuff, but mm-hmm. and I remember in the, they had the all of the small V8s, and then all of a sudden they came out with a what call a porcupine headed, but it was the big block Chevrolet. Oh, and we watched videos and stuff of it, or films wasn't videos, films and stuff. It had this is coming out and this. And I remember li- listening to some of those, and the voices and all that was on it. And the, the video wasn't that great, but uh, it was... <laughs> what, would the dealership sit you guys all down? And... Oh, you'd sit down. You had a little, like a classroom. And there was one of upcoming stuff, you know, and here's we got this. And I'd get to go in, you know, all of the hard part guys, we got to go in with the engine guys and the tune-up guys because it was all new stuff in them. And there were... <laughs> oh, we had hundreds of questions, and we didn't have all the answers, <laughs> answers there to get them just yet. But it was... It was quite a thing. And then it was the big topic of conversation. Did you see the heads on that thing? Did you see this and this? Big old valve covers, you know? <laughs> have you ever had to return a forgotten bag of adult play toys to a pair of sweet old grandparents? Or have you spent your summer cleaning up protein spills at an amusement park? How about going to work every day in a flea-infested casino? Hopefully you haven't, but our guests have. Welcome to the Insiders Podcast. Each episode, we bring you an explicit account from a hotel and hospitality industry insider. To listen to these stories and more, go to theinsiders.com to subscribe. That's the insiders, I-N-N-S-I-D-E-R-S.com. Do you get surprised seeing some of the, um, some of like the 60s cars that are like selling for crazy money that you're like, nobody wanted that. (laughs) Nobody wanted that in the time. (laughs) There's one called, uh, it's a 60 Chevrolet. It's called a bubble top, it, 60 and 61. It's called a bubble top, you know, because it's got roll down the windows, it's got big long front and back window, and not much metal for the top of it. And at the time, I mean, they were they were popular, but it wasn't, you know, any more than they, some of the others. And I went to an auction not long ago, and they had one of those in there. And I just happened to go by and I said, is that one in the auction? The guy said, yeah. And I said, really, where do you think it was starting? He said, it's going to start at 98. I said, 98,000? That's where it started. And it sold for like 110, 109, 110 for a bubble top. And I thought, my goodness. $4,000 car? Yeah. At the time, you know, if you had, you had the room and the money, of course, you know, all that stuff. You can put in our ifs. You can put 100 ifs in it. But to have room to put all that stuff and to buy a bunch of that, like hemicudas and all like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, <laughs> you don't have it, so... But you can think back on it and say, I remember when those guys came, when that stuff came out, you know. Yeah, like even something as simple as like a Corvette with a split window. Oh, and they quit making it because you couldn't see out the back window. Oh, that yeah. was the reason. Say, can't see out the, good out the back window, so let's stop it. 
And now then, is that a real split window? Yeah. Now you can't see out of any Corvette. <laughs> you had to come out was like, you get, and you're sitting down in it. And you used to, one of the big things was you roll your window down, put your arm out the window like it. Well, now if you're doing it, you got your arm up here like this. You know, no, they can't That's do that. That's how Garrett's anymore. C7 always was to me. I'm always like. Yeah. <laughs> well, the big thing was to ride around you with your arm out the window. Yeah. And now then, and the new Camaros, I mean, I'm not kicking GM, but goodness sakes. When you sit down in there, it's hard to see out stuff, you know? Yeah. Like, the doors that you can't open because they're so long. <laughs> so Look like an old Monte Carlo door. You know, they're like Carlo this doors. thick. <laughs> they're like a foot and a half thick from end to end. It's insane. Yeah, oh. the cars have just become so, like, overly heavy and complicated. Oh. They... It, my goodness, you know. And it's not because I'm not keeping up with the computer stuff. So the guys show me some of it. I, I dink around with some of it, but... You know, in, I remember going to a lot of the racetracks, and you go to the racetrack, and you go in, and the guys got the hoods up, and they're underneath, they're bent around to the hood doing stuff, you know? Well, now you go to the racetrack, and the hood's shut, but the computer's up on top of the car. And mm-hmm. that's how they're tuning. It's, it's very different, very different, yeah. I was aware of this race this weekend, and there they were, a bunch of them computers up on top of the car, and they're tuning it, you know, in the hoods. Sometimes they had them open, most of the time they were shut. <laughs> yeah, what do, you think, um, what do you think the first guy that broke out his laptop and plugged into his race car, what do you think everybody else was... L- oh, it's like, you know, it's one of them things you look at Got and you think, click, hmm, I don't think that's going you know, to last. It's kind of like they said about the electric, oh, and a horse and buggy and a train and all that. I don't think it's going to work. EFI. <laughs> well, it's, it's coming, you know, that, that, that fuel injection thing, you know, them carburetors are better. You get into all that, you know. And now then, and I'll admit, the early fuel injections, oh, they were aggravating. You could tune it for today and get up tomorrow morning and be out of tune. Mm-hmm. And just so weather-related. But now then, pfft, I'm car- just imagining the guy that showed up at the track with, like, a pro mod and was the first guy that, like, broke out a oh. laptop for, like, his pro mod type of Because there's got to be one I first guy. some of those. <laughs> I, I, I know one time I went to, uh, to a race, and I remember seeing those guys them electronic guys they call them and they had all this electronic stuff hooked up and I thought what in the world is all of that and some of the guys here's a guy that uh he was a Mopar guy and had some of the early electronics but it's kind of on the exterior of the car about wheel speed and stuff like that my goodness you looked at it and thought what is that and they'd uh they were at Bristol when I saw them Bristol Dragway and it was what is all of that electronic stuff? They had stuff hooked on the outside of the car, hooked to the front wheel, hooked to the rear, had all this electronic, it does this and this, and like, man, what is that? And now, and then you look at it now, it's like, you go now into ProMod stuff, what's the data read? They're inside of it, looking at all of that, and somebody's out here mm-hmm. working on the car, not much, but they're inside looking at all the data stuff. Even the nitrous guys. Oh. The nitrous guys were supposed to be the ones that were like, keeping it simple. Yeah. Now they're even using EFI. <laughs> and, and, you know, a couple of the big nitrous guys are just that. Yeah, there's like, okay, let's get in and see what the program is. And then you see the guys run up to the back of the car, <laughs> getting ready to go, turn on the... Yep. Man, huh? But, you know, it's... We've, we're in with it and advancing with it, I guess. But uh, you, you remember some of those things as you're coming along, you think, and then sometimes you think, that ain't going to work. And then all of a sudden you get proved wrong because it just, it's like anything else. It just takes some time to get it worked out. Mm-hmm. And it's now. 
It's like I remember the first spool that I saw in the rear end. And I remember looking at it and I thought, spool, that's a pretty good name because it does look like a spool of thread, you know. And I thought, well, what's that thing do? And the guy told me, he says, well, it really, imagine, he said, imagine it disconnects all the way through. I said, well, what about when you're going out of turn? And he said, you don't make many turns with this. He said, because this wheel wants to go as fast as that one, or that one wants to go as fast as this one. And he said, you get that little around the corner. And he said, let me show you. So he was going to push the car, and he pushed it, and it just pushed real easy. And he turned the steering wheel, like, dang. You know, because, well, he can't push it. Well, yeah. he can, but it's real hard to push. And then that was the, because a lot of them up to then, if you broke an axle, you could still do the same, not breaking an axle. Or if the PT unit in there went bad, now you use immediately left or right. And so, but there's advancements as it comes all along, you know. And then you're, you have people like the, the headers, you know, stall. This guy stall built this one unique set of headers. It had like a, as the gases exited the head, it went out and then it, it all of a sudden the, the pipe flared and his was that it would evacuate the chamber a lot. And it probably did, you know, it's like a venturi effect. Mm -hmm. As it's forced out, then it got real big, it pulled more of the gas out. Yeah, so like each header was pulling each the other, headed, yeah. was, was forcing the air out. Stall headers. But you think back on some of that stuff that when it came out, think, wow. And then hooker headers and all of that. Mm -hmm. And each one kind of copied the other. And then they had the equal length headers and all of the... Well, even like when turbos first started becoming things, they were like big bulky units that took forever <laughs> to get to spool up and you know people would struggle with them you have a small block with a big turbo and you're fighting that thing yeah, to get they up kind of you know somewhat they're kind of were i guess patterning a little after a diesel turbo which there's a big difference on it but you know if it works on the diesel it's got to work on the gas not necessarily and it just yeah i remember some of them days yeah it's wow. like when the grand national came out yeah the gnx it exactly. was like eye-opening for everyone and now those cars are so so sought after. And I remember the someone I asked someone I bought a Grand National new and uh bought it over at, at in Orlando. And the guy said, I'd sell you that one over there, but said it's already asked for and it was a GNX. And I said, Well, what's the difference? And he said, Well, that thing's got a ceramic impeller in it. And I said, Really? I don't know what he's talking about. I said, Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I liked it. <laughs> Never mind. He was talking about. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> he said, "It's not like yours over there." I said, well, "Okay, that's good. Good." Yeah. He said, "They're not going to make many of these, you know, the X." And he said, "You know, here's something unique about it. You have to own one of these to buy parts for them." And I said, "Really?" And he said, "Well, like body parts, you know." I said, no, "Okay, I'll I'll trust you. You're telling me the truth there on the thing. I don't know. I guess for a while it was. I don't know. You couldn't buy." Because, you know, people are going to make a clone out of one. You know, yeah, you buy a regular Grand National, Grand National. And, and buy the parts for it. But cheater it up a little bit. Cheater it up. Make yourself yeah. look cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, because they were faster than the Corvettes at the time, which was the whole thing that everybody... Oh, and, and you know, GM, they, they've done that through the years. They had the Cyclone, and it was at the time faster than the Corvettes, so they just done it for a little while because you can't, you can't do the flagship under. Mm -hmm. And then had the Buicks, and of course they said, oh, we've got to stop that too. And it's, I guess they wanted the Corvette to be that, but some of them Corvettes were slow. Oh, they were dogs. I was going to say, Pardon it sounds like... Corvette guys. I'm, I got one too, but I'm telling you, this for a while, they were dogs. It's oh. actually interesting to think that the Corvette probably stifled a lot of GM's growth. They could oh. have made so much better of cars, but they were actually having to slow down some of the better engineering teams. 
because you know, the, of their flagship. Them little cyclones and stuff that they had, had uh, those things, it was a 4.3, uh, uh, you know, it was a V8, but it, uh, V6, just a V8 with two of the back, the two back cylinders gone with a turbo. Them things were so fast. And it's all-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. And I think the claim was that it ran within a tenth or so on a wet track of what it did on a dry track, you know, with all-wheel drive on and they were they were fast. They were real fast. Well, there was the two. There was the S10 based, and then there was the Blazer. Yeah, yeah. They had a, a Cyclone, and a Typhoon. Typhoon. The Typhoon that's what it was. was yeah. Blazer type based on it, and they were they were pretty darn fast. And then I guess maybe someone in Corvette got the howling about it, and it's like, and hey, we got to stop that. Well, all wheel drive wasn't really common at the time either. No, and you know the especially the, performance. The all wheel drive was taken out of a. Uh, there was something in the Oldsmobile line that had an all-wheel drive. Uh, one of them had an all-wheel drive. And it was like a, I think it was a 65-35, 65 rear, 35 front. And that was the one I'm, I'm pretty sure that they put into those. Mm-hmm. And boy, they did do good. Wow. But this thing, an all-wheel drive, man, it was... Are you a car enthusiast looking for an exciting new podcast to listen to? check out the Test Drive podcast hosted by Lee Den. This podcast is packed with discussions about some of the most iconic vehicles in automotive history and inside knowledge from behind the scenes. From the Mustang to the Camaro, we cover it all. So buckle up and enjoy the ride. Listen to Test Drive on your favorite podcast app today. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Think about that time, too, was when the Japanese cars started to come over. And then that kind of changed everything from having a big, heavy car with a big engine to then seeing these little Japanese economy cars with small engines that yeah, you know, were the, light. And long in there, the Supra came out, which was light years ahead of its time. And then a lot of my, oh, one of my cars through the years, I had a Honda Civic. It had a 1,200cc engine in it, and little old body was just, oh my. It was bad. It was real bad. But it got me back and forth to work. I love that and you it, you it, talk about it in CC instead of cubic inch. Yeah, it was a 1,200cc engine, <laughs> a Honda Civic. Oh, and it, it might have done, I don't know, had it downhill in the head and the tailwind, it might have run 75 or 80. But it was, <laughs> but it was good transportation. It got you there and back on it. And then, now then, I talked to some of the guys to track now that, whew. So you were actually a boosted boy. Yeah, way back way then, back. didn't 
<laughs> I've had these Hondas before. Really? What'd you have? Oh, and then I had a CRX. This lady sold me a CRX one time. That was the handiest car because you raise the back. And man, you can put all kind of stuff in there. Yeah. It's a very nice little car. Well, the Nissans were coming over, like the uh, 240s, uh, the 280Zs, yeah. and the Fairlanes, Fairlady Zs, mm-hmm. which were, you know, they were already rusted when they got here. But <laughs> <laughs> That's standard equipment. on. So do you want rust on yours or no? I'll take the rust with it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the, the, the story was on the shipping boats over, they got all the salt water. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. They, <laughs> they were ruined by the time they landed. <laughs> anything to prop it up. I mean, they were, oh, my goodness, and some of them now, if you find one somewhere, Go look at it. It's like, whoa! I wouldn't take this around the block. I don't yeah. know if we'd make it around the block. Yeah, if you find like a really clean 280, that's tough to find. I know the uh, uh, this fellow on you one time had one of them. What was it the 300 ZX or whatever? What the turbo yeah, one? You know? The nightmare to work on the engine bay. Yes, and you open that hood and it's like, whoo! Wow! Close that. How do you get in there? Just shut it back. <laughs> and oh my goodness, he would talk about that thing. And I said, why don't you just get rid of it? You know, and he said, I am. And he bought a, uh, was it the 2-4? The one had the airplane engine in it. It's like the, what's the, they still got them now, you know, your. Uh, the RX-7? No, no, it wasn't the RX. It's, it's the uh, the Nissan, you know, the, the early model. What is it, the 240? Yeah, two, yeah. The 240. 240Z. Yeah. Not a 240SX like James. No, is it, yeah, no it's like a 240Z. A and it had the six-cylinder, and rumor has it, I don't know, that it was the, that that engine, that they also used it for an airplane engine. Of course, not in its form, but in the car, but that was some of its heritage. And they were good little cars, but they had the automatic rust problem on them. Just, mm-hmm. man. And then it went to 240, 260, 280. I mean, it just kept evolving. Yeah. It definitely changed. It Put a different it kind of threw a wrench at all of the U.S. automakers because they were building such different level of vehicle. U.S. automakers, long about that time, got a little bit fat and lazy, and the foreign market just blew by us, you know. Yeah, because like and, a Supra is was just so much better. Oh. Even now, the interior on a Supra versus the interior on like a Camaro of the same year, night and day difference. You know, you look at the 94 Supra, which I had one. And the interior of that car, and that's that's nearly a thirty-year-old car now, is it's as modern as what you have in some of them now. What well color laid did out, you have? red. Red. Yeah, it was, it, and I had left that thing completely stock. It had little. Did you ever see the turbos on the stock one? Yeah. They look like snuff cans, little old bitty things, but it, it ran good, and, and everybody kept saying, "Oh, you got a single turbo in that thing." Da da da. Well, I didn't. Just kept it stock. It was a nice car, real nice car. But, like everything else, you, you, it's time you think, no, I'll go ahead and sell it and get another one. Ha. As soon as I sold it, the market yeah. went nuts. Oh. <laughs> There's such a different, like, cult following for the JDM stuff, mm. the Japanese versus, like, the U.S., some of the U.S. market. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's such a different following oh, on, like, totally. the heritage and some of the pedigree on the cars <laughs> is so different, and, like, the racing history of them. It's, it's cool. It's cool to see the racing history, even, like, you know, C5 sitting behind us, like the racing history of those cars. Exactly. I went to an auction in Dallas about, it's been about six months ago, maybe seven now. And my uh, son-in-law sent me this thing. He said they're having a uh, auction for Supras. It's a big one down in, in Dallas. He said, you want to go? And I said, well, yeah. So I drove over there. I couldn't believe it. I had, I'm glad I saw it with my own two eyes. They had 
some in other was extremely unique. Some of it was never bothered and had, some of them had like less than a hundred miles in them. A hundred and ninety-nine thousand dollars. And I said, is that real? I mean, you could look at the cars and that's what it went for. And then some of them were a little less. We had some in the 150s, 120s, and one right at a hundred. Now, my goodness, where's my head? What was I doing selling that car? You could buy a house or you could buy a <laughs> Toyota from the 90s. You can't live in this thing here, but you can, yeah, you got a nice car. There. I mean, these were nice. I know last year they brought one to the track that had uh, had a pretty high price tag on it, low miler, all but they were they were the car and still are now. But mm. my goodness, you can't afford to have one now. Victor Rocking just got a pretty nice uh, Quicksilver one, <laughs> and that silver is real nice. Silver cars are tough, but the silver Supras are just great. He came and looked at that car there. Or I told him about that car. Yeah. And I was teasing about putting a turbo on so it. So behind he, us is a Lexus IS 300? SC300. made an SC300 and SC400. The 300 was a 2JZ, and then the 400 was a small V8 in it. And he said, well, I'll, I'll go you one better. He said, uh, just sell me the car. And I said, no. <laughs> I, want, I was thinking about putting a single on it. Oh, no, no. He said, just sell it to me and I'll put one on it. I said, no, Victor, no. The trick is you sell it to him, he does it, and then you buy it back. Oh, sure. After we get around, he said, we'll test the car. And he said, maybe I'll sell it back to you. I said, no, Victor, what? tell me something about it now. And he said, oh, if I ever got it to my shop, putting one on it, he said, I might just keep it. Yeah, okay. But it's, and it's, it's a nice car. I mean, it's a 99 model car, but it's a pretty nice old car. And yeah, they were good. They were comfortable. They were like spacious interior because they're the luxury Supra. Yeah. Is that is what the guy says, the rich man's Supra on the thing? Mm-hmm. Of course, the Supra was... Phew. Yeah. They, their, their only problem is their headlights look weird. The four headlights on them. Yes. They, I, I love the car, but it's just... They were, I, I don't know, that just front bumper compared to like what Toyota was doing at mm-hmm, the time. It mm-hmm. seemed like they did something different. It was like they gave that division permission to be different. They said, okay, guys, just go ahead, do whatever you want to. It's kind of like I was reading about the... Uh, the new General Motors V8, the flat plane. Mm-hmm. And I guess they kind of gave them guys in that department said, carte blanche, go for it. Ooh. And it is quite a unique engine. That sounds uh, great. Man, like a shift point of 8,400, mm-hmm. dual overhead camera, half inch shorter on the stroke than the others. Yeah, that's it's nice. Be great if they just, uh, you know, if GM would just let us tune them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's the caveat. But you can't tune this. Hey, we're no. going to give you all this great stuff, but don't touch it. <laughs> we might put turbos on it, but we're not going to let you do it. Yeah, okay. they've even talked about all-wheel drive. I've yeah, heard. you know, the, I, I read this brief one time, it, I guess it was the official, where they were talking about maybe a couple of small turbos on this one uh, with an all-wheel drive for the ultimate Zora Duntoff type car. Mm-hmm. Well, that'd be nice. I wonder what the price tag on that's going to be. Woo-wee. So, funny enough, me and Garrett went to the unveil of the C8 when they first showed it in yeah. Vegas, and we got to drive it around our test track and everything, and they were showing us all the tech, and they were like, oh, we modeled it, like we bought a 911 Turbo, and we tried to <laughs> compete with that. We drove it around the track, and I'm like, I don't think it's any 911 Turbo. <laughs> no. No, you got Porsche, you got to get Porsche due. Them guys, that's what they do. They, they, you buy streetable race car. I mean, you can take it right to the track, jump on the track with it. But what do we do to it? Just drive it, go around the track. Mm-hmm. A lot of the others you take out there, well, we're going to do this and this. 
the Porsche, just drive over and go. Well, Porsche is weird because they want you to do that. Like the oh, dealership that, wants you to take it to the track because... If you buy some of those that are track type, you know, and that SC grouping and stuff, mm-hmm. they'll, somewhere in there, they'll ask you that question. Now, you're going to track this car, right? And then probably to the guy says, oh, no, we want to let it sit in the garage and increase in value. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. This car is meant to go around the track. It's going to break if you don't go track <laughs> yeah, right. it. First time you're going to thud. Yeah, you got to take it to the racetrack or else it'll break. Boy, and they do, oh, my... My son-in-law lives in Dallas, and he goes to, a, there's a track down there that, it's a, I forgot how long the circuit is, three and a half miles or something like that, and you, they've got several cars you can rent there. Oh, they've got Lambos, they've got Porsches, they've got uh, Ferraris. It's pretty high dollar to rent them, of course, but, or you can have your own out there. Now, he's got a uh, GT500, and... These, oh my. So I asked him after he'd went through, he drove them all, and I said, which one? He said, that's the Porsche. Okay. He said, it's not got some of the blasting power that the others had, but he said, look at the track times. It's yeah. always lower than. And the others, yeah, you could, on the straightaway blast, yeah, but here it came. <laughs> kind of like back in the, uh, uh, the, the original Austin Mini Cooper, had like a 12-inch tire on it, and they entered in the, one of the races might have been the 24-hour. I'm not sure which one it was, but it won it. And uh, they thought, how did it do that? Well, in the straights, everything, boom, But it come to the corner, that thing, yep. like a go-kart. And that's how it done it. It was just that it, what it lost in the straightaways made up in the corners. So I've always really liked those old Mini Coopers. I've wanted to do like a Honda swap in one. Yeah. Like put like a good motor in it. They had them, tw- I remember they had 12-inch tires on. And you look at it and think, man, that's like a go-kart. And it was. I don't know if you ever drove one of them old ones. It's the Cooper edition. Yeah, Cooper. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. They were just, I guess you could turn them over, but they were, it had a pretty good width on it for the stance. And they hit the corner. Yeah, the weight was pretty, pretty low. Pretty darn good. Pretty good. I know I was in Germany in the service, and some, they had uh, some little clubs there, those. And them guys would get out in them things. Oh, my. And you go for a ride in them and think, I think we're going too fast for this turn. It's kind of, around you go like, okay, I guess it wasn't. <laughs> Maybe I was scared for nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's different when you're behind the wheel driving. I think it's different than when you're sitting over on the passenger side. It's like on them rallies. I look at the guys in the right-hand side. He's reading the map and yakking all this stuff. Sometimes he's not paying attention. You just tell him, turn, 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 turn. Whew. That'd be tough. That'd That's kind of like riding with Garrett. <laughs> That's the same deal as riding with him. I'm like, Garrett, I'm just going to look out the side window. Go ahead, you know, because yeah. I, I know we're going to hit something, so let me look out the side window. <laughs> I did that for a long time. That's against... a good analogy. That's a good analogy. Some of my gray hairs are actually. <laughs> oh, man. He, he was teasing me about that one truck. He said, you want to go for a ride in this V6? And I said, Tuh. that ain't no V6. He said, nobody had the hood up. I said, that ain't no V6 in there. And he said, oh, yeah, come on. He said, it's a special V6. I said, yeah, right. <laughs> we got after. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was the give- it was the giveaway truck. You know? Yeah, yeah. That thing was. The one with the supercharger on yeah. it. Yeah. That was a good truck. That thing was fast. With, with the 10 speed, and it was, uh, and it would spin as long as you held it down. Just keep changing gears. And it had a lot of tire on it. Oh, man. To that just spin, thing was, the, spin right through the gears. It would. I mean, you'd take off and it's like, nah, 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 just keep on changing gears, keep spinning them tires. Yeah, and then we got down and turned around and he said, what do you think for the V6? And I said, 
Yeah, right. I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. Come on, Gad. <laughs> he, just, he took two of them for a ride and tell them all the same. Got this new V6. Yeah, Garrett, it won. Yeah, we got that. <laughs> it so, was fast. So what was, um, what was the first car you remember wrenching on? Oh, my own car. I used to ask my dad about, I said, Pap, you going to buy me a car? And he's like, no, so you'd have to buy your own. So I took this job. And some people may not know what we're talking about, but I'll tell it anyway. I took, he said, I'll take you down to this guy, Earl Clevenger. And Earl Clevenger took, uh, he hauled chickens to the slaughterhouse. And a lot of people raised chickens in. I mean, when I say raised chickens, it wasn't just a few. Your chicken house, you'd have anywhere five or 10,000 in a house, you know, depending on if it's one story or two. In a typical truck, what we had was, uh, they'd haul about 5,500 chickens on a load. Well, when you caught these, you'd, them chickens, they just had, they had even automatic feeders at that time. And uh, them chickens had never seen darkness. This daylight was on. And the feeders, always feed those automatic feeders going around. One thing they had to do was eat, you know. And uh, when it came time to take them to market, uh, you'd go in there and, and, they'd, and they hadn't been, didn't seen a lot of humans either. So you'd walk into one end of the house and they're like, oh, they panic and run, you know. Well, you start walking one way in the house, and all them chickens are running in front of They're going to the other end. And you get them down there where they're all real close together and just turn the lights out. Well, they'd never seen lights out before, so they just sat down. Well, uh, chicken coop was a big, you know, uh, wooden piece, oh, so big, so deep. And depending on what market it was going to, that we took them to, we'd either have 17, 19, or 21 chickens in a coop. And you, you'd put, you caught... You'd reach out and get one by the back leg, you know, just one leg. You put two here, three here, three here, four here, and then you'd load them up with one at a time in the other hand. And that was one load. You'd have 17, 19, or 21, and go out and load this coop, shut the lid on it, and that, there you go. So you'd just well, be carrying chickens upside down? You carry them upside down, the you know, going out and into the coop to go, and you shut the lid. And so you, and there's usually uh, 12 or 13 chicken catchers, if you will, load that truck, and sometimes it'd be, if it's a two-story house, we'd have two trucks. You got $5, cash dollars, because they'd get paid under the table and old enough for it, five cash dollars for one truck. And on nights, you had two. That's 10, he'd pay you right there, $10. And then, back in the 60s, whoa, early 60s, you make $10 mm-hmm. a night. It's like 10 real dollars. Well, that's how I bought my first vehicle. I bought a 49 Chevrolet truck. Never forget that. Gave $150 for that thing. And it was, and I thought, man, that's a lot of money for that thing. And my dad said, no, it's a good buy. It's a good buy on the thing. So I gave this guy, a fellow Avery Riddle was his name, gave him $150 for that green truck, took it home. Never forget that. So proud of that thing. <laughs> that was. Oh, I can, I can. Just hit, hit the off button. On yeah, the I'll just button. hit the side button. You hit the side on the off button. It's J.H. Diesel. He had, uh. And I, and I thought, man, this is so special on it. But it wasn't a five one. It was just a, just a regular one on it. I had done it for a while. And, you know, of course, at the time, uh, I could have got a five winner for probably 250 Sorry, I kind of missed it. It was a five-window. Well, the one that I got was not a five-window. It's a 49 Chevrolet. And like 49 through 53, yeah. they made this one called a five-window. And it's got the two little side windows in the back and then the back window. And they were... And now then they're, you can buy one now ready to go with like LS and all like that for about a hundred, 
Yeah, so it was like a 10-year-old car at the time. Yeah, so that was that was my first one. And, uh, of course, I had to learn how to do stuff on it, and I'd ask around, you know, and people would say, see, uh, some of the stuff I messed up on it. Oh, yeah. I didn't know what I was doing, so I'd just take stuff apart, you know. Didn't know how to put it back together. My dad always tell me, boy, he said, you don't know how to put that back together. Why are you taking it apart? Well, I just want to make it better. And he said, worked pretty good just like it was. Had a foot starter. I mean, you push this little thing in the floor, and it pushed against the, made the contact down on the starter. It wasn't a key start. <laughs> you turned the key on and pushed that thing in the floor, and it started. It was yeah. the way old cars, old cars started. I remember um, growing up, my grandpa always had a, he had a tractor, and it was the way he started. It was this red screwdriver. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Man, and then it had a foot dimmer for the lights. You know, you over on the left-hand side and the floor, click was bright, click was dim. That's how you brighten and dim the lights. It was <laughs> no such thing as air conditioning. They probably had it, but I didn't have a vehicle that had air conditioning on it. They probably didn't help you very much in the back roads. No, and then, <laughs> and then of all things, right about the time that I was about to get my license on it, uh, well, I had that truck, but I bought it when I didn't have any license on it, just working on it. And you could drive around then back in the country roads and stuff, and ain't nobody checked no license on it. I mean, it, it's just a different era. And my dad was telling me about it. He said, they got this 55 Ford. He said, it's a four-door, but he said, it's a good car. And I thought, well, yeah. And then four-doors were looked down on. And if you drove a four-door, it's like, oh, couldn't afford the two-door. So it was a great price on it, so I got this. So that was my second one. But it had a real V8 in it. Yeah. A 292 cubic inch V8. <laughs> that ain't much. <laughs> that ain't much. That ain't much. But we, oh, we thought we was on top perch, you know. Oh, my. It's <laughs> a lot more noise than go. You can make a lot of noise, you know, and you could uh, uh, either cut a hole in the muffler or get somebody to take the muffler off, cut it open, take the insides out, and then weld it back up, and it'd make it a unique sound. There's <laughs> some stuff you done. Cut. Oh, man. Some of the stuff you done, it was crazy. Yeah, just, gas efficiency wasn't really a concern at the time. No, I mean, in the early days, I can remember when gas was 17.9 cents a gallon. 17.9. You think, really? Yeah, mm-hmm. 17.9 cents a gallon. You could go and get 50 cents. You know, sometimes you buy 50 cents worth of gas. Pull in the gas station and get 50 cents worth of gas. Yep, use nearly three gallon of gas, and on down the road you went, so. <laughs> well, only, I mean... If you're talking like 64 was this, you're only a few short years before the gas crisis, right? Oh, and then, and then got up into the 70s and the gas screwed up. Yeah, that's when everything kind of started to go a little haywire. Well, because, you know, all of a sudden, oh, we run out of oil. Oh, crisis. We still haven't run out. No, and you're not going <laughs> to run out. You know, I mean, it depends on who's, who's on the scare platform that day. You know, oh, then people need to be scared. Yep. And now then you got, I remember in West Texas, the thing out there around the middle in Odessa, that whole big area, it's called the Permian Basin. And many, many years ago, I guess it was a big, one of the first big oil strikes out in there. And then they said, oh, a few years after that, not probably 20 or 30 years after that, oh, I mean, Permian Basin's running dry, you know, and this. And then just a few years ago, two or three years ago, they, quote, rediscovered the Permian Basin. Ha! Huh. Huge reserves. So it's... Like I said, it all depends on who's at the helm of the ship. Yeah. Yep. Who's who's ready to make some money? You better be scared of this thing. Well, we're going to run out of gas. Right. So buy your economy cars. And along that era is when they start pushing economy cars, you know. Yeah. Oh, get you a four-cylinder car. 
and making it run real good on the thing, but get you a four-cylinder car. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. The V8s, that... oh my goodness, Chevrolet made a V8, had like a 76 or 78 cc combustion chamber. It would just about get out of its own way, and it was a 350 cubic inch, and it had like a, might have had 100 and something horsepower. They were turtles. You think, oh, I got this 350. Oh, you ain't got much. And they take the same engine years later, and you start doing stuff to it. Same cubic inch. Now you got lightweight pistons, and now they got big horsepower out of them. No, I mean, nothing like today, but at that time, it's the changes. But it's technology, and, you know, don't, don't impede progress. Didn't try to with this stuff like, well, why we got to change? Well, it's got to do this or this, you know. And mm-hmm. then all regulation. Of a sudden, lots of regulations, and you can't emit this, and you can't do this, and... Then all of a sudden you can't have them carburetors anymore. Well, you can, but they're not efficient. So we're going to have this fuel injection. Okay. Right. You've got to have 15 speeds on your transmission, <laughs> just so that it's always in yeah. peak efficiency. Oh, you know, and you had you had the power glide, the old cast iron power glide, two speed, and then they had a aluminum casing, still two speed, and then all of a sudden you had a turbo 350, three speed, then a turbo 400, the heavy duty version, and then you started getting into overdrives and yeah. Yeah, I mean, even, like, those transmissions are still all the bee's knees, though. Oh, turbo yeah, they, 400, turbo 400. You could buy a heavy-duty turbo 400 and make 3,000 horsepower. I mean, it's, it's that engine, I mean, I mean that uh, transmission, them guys done their homework on that many years ago there at GM in the hydromatic division or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now then it's like, well, what's yours going to, well, it's got this engine with a 400. And you already know what you're talking about, you know, the turbo 400. Yeah. And you're saying, well, it's not that, but it's a billet case. And all. Okay, I understand it. I understand it. But you're still working with a, the likes of a Turbo 400 and what it does and does not do. And I remember in a, uh, they had an overdrive on cars. It had a three-speed on the column, <laughs> three on the tree, and it had a little button and you could pull, and that was your overdrive. Oh, you could be going down the road, you know, at uh, 55 50 or 55 miles an hour and pull that overdrive, and boy, that little RPM drop way down and get good gas mileage. Yeah, that was... That oh, I'm was sure a, you start with that overdrive pulled out and you're going to have a bad time. Oh, it's, uh, uh, push yeah. overdrive back in. Okay, get back. <laughs> it's like the choke. <laughs> it's like having a choke on the thing. Oh, my. It's, I remember some of that stuff so, so well. And at the time, it was like big deals, you know, and if we only knew. Oh, yeah, I mean, you, sure, if you'd have had several million dollars and you went down and bought, you know, just about you a whole stable full of Camaros and all the other stuff, yeah, but who knew where it was going? I mean, it was yeah. like each year it changed. It had the 67, 68, 69, and then all of a sudden you had a 70 Camaro. Well, we don't like it as well as the 69s, and then some liked them more, and then each had this little segment that it stayed in, and then I remember a 59 Chevrolet had these big wings on it, 58 started little, and then the 59 had a big old wing on it. People said, oh, that thing looks like it's going to take off and fly. Yeah. And the Cadillacs had the big wings. Oh, everybody liked them wings. And, Sounds uh, like James is uh, revving a car. And then DeSoto's. Oh, it was in the Chrysler Corporation. They had one called a DeSoto. Oh, my. Chrysler DeSoto. It had a big wing on it, you know, and uh, it was some of that. Well, that was when... You know, this era we're talking about is like when they were trying to compete in NASCAR with these cars. Yes, yes. Like you have to build something mm-hmm. 
that was production, mm -hmm. but also could go race on Sunday and sell on Monday yeah. type of yeah, situation. Exactly. And, you know, that's a lot of the uh, long nose cars, if you will, mm -hmm. the big block car, uh, big block Chevrolet car, the, the Hemi car, or the Hemi engine. And then they had to kind of sort it and all out. So, wait a minute, that's, we can't do that. Because they built enough of the, of the uh, Superbirds and all to where they could race those. And then they're like, well, that's an unfair advantage. And then Chevrolet had, they were racing their big block, and that's an unfair advantage. So then they're, and it started where it is today on the thing where all the cars are the same and horsepower is the same and all like that. But anyway, it was, back in those days, it was racing. And it's like anything else, you know. It's how much you can read in the white spaces of the rules, you know. Yeah. The James syndrome, you know. Okay, yeah, here's the black and white. Well, James don't pay attention. He reads in the white spaces, you know. Yeah, yeah. You hand him a set of rules, he gives you a setback. Like, I saw him read a rule book once like this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Covered his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> they give James a set of rules, and he hands him one back written out, and they say, where did you find that? And he said, well, you didn't have it written. Oh, you can't do that. Well, where does it say that? The trick is you know the tech guy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's rules written about the, I mean, there's books written about the NASCAR days of oh. cheating and some of the stuff that they were doing. I think um, Smokey was his name. Smokey Eunuch, yeah. Yep, Smokey Eunuch was cheating up everything. He was putting superchargers hidden under the floorboard. and They had, and, and I remember this one, Junior Johnson had this one. They caught him with it. He took it underneath of the car, and it was, and you can look in the history books on it. Was there, the underneath of it, so the air would flow better under it. He had that, he had made some platforms, had it where it was, and Bondo and stuff, and had it where it was slick underneath it. Well, later on they caught it, but all of a sudden that car was way fast. It's like, yeah. how does he do that? And then they got to, yeah, okay. I've heard came. of nitrous filled cages. Oh, and in the early model, they had, uh, I said the early model, in some of the early cheating, and it was dangerous to streak a line, and some of them had in some of the lower tubes on that of your cage had fuel in that because it was only allocated so big of a tank. I mean, <laughs> racers are just so innovative, you know. They're like, man, it doesn't say you can't do that, but you did. come on, got to have a little common sense. Yeah, and that's remember, why the rule books became a, an encyclopedia. <laughs> and I remember going to some of the uh, early circle track races at the dirt track. And I, well, I'll tell you who I saw there at, at the first one I went to. Richard and Lee Petty, and they were just racers, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, Cale Yarborough, and it was like, these are very, very young guys, you know. And, and they're like, and my dad knew who they were, you know. I mean, and he didn't know them personally, but he said, oh, that's this, this, and this, you know. That's uh, Lee Petty, that's Richard Petty on the thing. And they'd come down from way down the state somewhere, you know. Because this is up in Asheville, and they were, I think, Randleman down in there. And it was <laughs> some of those people. But they were just common people, you know. And, yeah, and they were they, just racers. They were just racers out there. And, and they were, uh, you know, they were rule benders too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Banjo Matthews built a lot of the cars for him, And he was a big rule bender. I know you're dead and gone on thing, but I'm just telling you, he was a big rule bender. And uh, then there was a guy named Jack Ingram. Called him the Iron Man. And you said they had a, a Saturday night race, and that was called the, it's for a while called the Grand National, and then it changed the name around. They still have the Saturday and Sunday racers now. You know, have the NASCAR on Sunday and, and the other one. Uh, mm -hmm. They got a difference here, like Nextel or whatever that it is. Yeah, they, they do like the truck race or yeah. something. 
and Craftsman. the cars are a lot close to the ones that you run on Sunday, but the horsepower is different. Well, anyway, they'd have, uh, he ran that one on Saturday, and I'll tell you what, he was a champion for several years. And uh, Ben Barnes, who was one of my engine trainers, he built the engines for him. And it was, there was a lot of <laughs> smoke and mirrors went on down at the engine shop. Oh, you tell me, you didn't see none of this. <laughs> no, you're right, I didn't see that. But Jack would get out there and he's, and I'd ask him one time, I said, you know, I see you get out there about a third of a lap in front and you just kind of, he said, can't show all your cards. Oh, okay. He could have run away with the races, but. Uh, you had the forethought to keep. Oh yeah, he just, he just enough in front where like, eh, yeah. we won't try to catch him. But yeah, he'd say, can't show all your cards. Okay. Because it's like with drag racing, if you go out there and run a good number, yeah. <laughs> suddenly the next race you're going to have to put 20 pounds on your car. You got to weight this car down because you're okay. What do you, you know, think Congratulations, about here's weight. You know, you look at some of the class races, like in Superstocks, when they still got a lot of classes on it. And if you can't run, like on Superstock, if you can't run a couple of seconds under the index, well, you ain't there. You yeah. think, well, what's the index for? And then if you, someone wants to reset the index, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Don't. Why? Well, it's kind of artificial, you know. A little well, rubber. You end up, um, they call it you win a lead trophy. Exactly, because you just ruined it for everybody else. You got to lead your car now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and now there's a, there's a hard rule book. This guy wanted me to build a, uh, he was doing this Monte Carlo one time. Oh, and he was going to do the engine for it. The book they gave you on that thing was Unbelievable. I said, dang, Kenny, I can't, what is all of this? Well, da, 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 da. now the first time, first time done it, he won the class. And it's like uh, Kenny Mertens, never forget it. Well, anyway, they caught on to some of the stuff we done. You can't do that anymore. You know, the rule book says, yeah, okay. And we, of course, you get caught with that. Well, you have to go to something else because now everybody's caught up to you and like you're just in the mix again. So you got to, <laughs> it was, but that's the way it always is. Yeah. Well, there's some people that no matter what rule book you give them, they're always going to be a front runner. Oh, they're always going to be just a little bit better. Kind of like you know, I like Lyle Barnett, Stevie Fast, like that type of guy. Like he's always going to find. When his you get way. into that category of people on the thing, because they're, you write a rule and you try to write a rule to slow them guys down, they just end around it and go, and they're like. Oh, they're faster than they were before now. Oh, mm -hmm. man. But they do. I mean, that's, that's the innovativeness of them. That's, and that's what brings a lot of good stuff to the, to the sport is people like that. Now, they not, may not be that well liked down through the other ranks like those guys. It's a big sponsorship money. Well, if you've not got the technology for it, you can have a lot of sponsorship money, and you may be running somewhere in the middle of the mm -hmm. pack. You know, and there are some that have big sponsorships that run back in the pack a little but you take, like you about, about Lyle, Stevie, some of those guys. You know, who the, you know who the competition's going to be before you get there. So, uh, you know who we're up. And they'll ask, you know, Stevie going to be here? Yeah. Oh, okay. Wonder what the second place trophy is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he wins more than he loses oh, on a lot of these deals. Or at least he has in a lot of the different facets of racing he's done. Because he's done pro mod. He's done small yes, tire, yes. big tire, no prep, everything. 
And he, and you know, he shares a lot of information that he does. Of course, he's not going to share all of the stuff on it, but he shares a lot of the stuff that he does about things that he has done to the car and mm-hmm. what does this and that, and, and supposedly stays within the confines of the rules, whatever on it. But uh, it's hard to write rules around some of these guys and some of the stuff that they do because that's that's why they're there. That's why they you know say, okay, he's wrote it this way. Well, it didn't say this. Mm-hmm. Well. You'd have volumes of books if you wrote down everything on it. You know, if you if you sat down and went through James's stuff on the thing, it'd be like, dang, James had to write an encyclopedia for you, buddy. Yeah. And then he'd still somewhere he'd mash it and still come out somewhere. You know? <laughs> so um, early BMP when you were first going there, mm-hmm. when was that? Oh my goodness. Oh, BMP is in here. Bradenton Raceway. Yeah, Bradenton, Bradenton Motorsports Park. I moved out here in '92. And the reason I moved out here was the lake where I could go fishing. Well, three reasons. Lake to go fishing, the track, both the drag strip and the round track, and to get out of the city down there. Well, now then, how, how things change. The lake's still there, of course, and you can fish it 20 horse or less. The two tracks are still here. Mm, they're trying to uh, rearrange that. And the city's come out here. You know, the housing and all the other stuff. They want to be out here. Oh, Here's the trendsetter. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so I came out and I thought, well, which one do I want to do? Well, years prior, I'd done some drag racing. And uh, I said, you know, I think I'd like to try that round track. There's a mistake. Well, I won't call it a mistake. I mean, don't get me wrong, guys. I'm not calling it a it mistake. It's a learning experience. But that is a learning experience. And you are going to expend some parts. Because if you... Get out there and be competitive. Somebody's not going to like you, and they're going to, quote, accidentally bump into you. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd work all night on your car through the week, get ready for Saturday night, and then somebody crashes you. Like, oh, that. So I've done that for a couple of years, and I thought, this ain't going to work out, you know. So I'm going back to the drag strip. So that's what it is. And, have, and people say, well, you know, if you get over here and you do 25 laps in this, you know, you're a race car driver. You go over there, it's just a little A to B. Well, each one has its own stuff. I understand that. But I think back on, there was one, you asked me one time a minute ago, some of the early stuff I saw. This one's a little off subject, but uh, I went to, when I was in the service, I went to uh, Amarillo Dragway, and I saw my first roller rocker. I said, really? And there was this guy, Carol Cottle, had a 55 Chevrolet, and he was kind of like Bob Glidden, you know, when you went over to look at his stuff, he's kind of everything all covered up. And I remember he's, he was setting the valves on it, and I looked in and I thought, I said, good night. I said, what is that? And he said, see, that's called a roller rocker arm. And I said, really? He won't talk much about it because it's kind of a, and he had, he didn't have high enough valve covers for it. He'd taken uh, another valve cover off a regular uh, small block and cut it and put a little band around it so it'd set up higher so it'd clear the mm-hmm. rockers, you know. Carol Cottle, I never remember. Super yeah, competitive. There's so guy. much to be said about the guy that's trying something new like that. Oh, I remember seeing them valve covers on the thing. I thought, that's just a small block valve cover that he had cut the top off one, put a little band in it, made it higher so it'd clear the rocker arms. That was. My goodness. Yeah, there's a good <laughs> saying about it. It's, um, the first one through the wall gets bloody. Yeah. And right. the others just follow suit. And the other kind of just like, because people like me that have, you know, roller rockers and don't think anything of somebody who had to struggle through it like that. And, you know, I, it, when you think about it, I looked in, I was looking at that diagram that got laid out of that engine. 
And you look at the stuff in that engine that's straight from hot rodders, that, that new Chevrolet engine I'm talking mm-hmm. about. The overhead camera, and it's not so much hot rodders, but it is come the Japanese put that on there. The roller rockers and all of the, and a bunch of the other stuff inside of that is straight out of the drag racing stuff on it. The way the oil pump works, what it does. Only that one there has a dry sump system made onto the engine. Yeah. Which, and it's a flat plane rather than the, uh, it's, but you look at some of the stuff and think, people aren't going to listen to them drag racers. Oh, they listen to it. They look at your ideas. Trust mm-hmm. me, there's, there's a lot of uh, infiltrators from a big industry out here that we don't know about. They're plain clothesmen, if you will. There's definitely a strong mesh of aftermarket OEM, and then yes. they kind of clash and come yeah. together in the middle, yeah. and we all steal ideas from each other. And, you know, you go to these, a lot of the big shows and some of the stuff, and you think, wow, where did I see that before? Oh, on some dry gracious. It, and it's, and it just filter and the fuels, the different fuels in it, that's all about the dry gracious and stuff, too. And, okay, this one's running methanol, this one's running alcohol, and this and that. It's the derivatives of that, you know, and the, some of your clutch setups that you have now, you know, the, who would have known about a triple clutch years ago? Drag racers. Now then, it's, mm-hmm. you know, a dual clutch. And it's just common stuff now that we have on it. Like, and then a lot of your automatics, the things that they do now, complements of some of the drag racers through the years. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, I, but I think it's great because we, uh, now the factory's coming back to us with some of the stuff. Of course, I don't think they've really left. But they're coming back to us with a lot of the stuff, you know, that, uh, with the Copo car. Yeah. Look at that thing. That, that's, yeah. that's a real race car. Coach can get a title for it, but I mean, it's a real mm-hmm. race car. I know. That would be real nice if he could get a title for it. Wow. <laughs> they would sell a lot of them. Oh, man. <laughs> There's a guy I had one over this weekend there, and I was looking at that. That's mm, everything about it just sells factory race car, and that's what it is, you know? Mm-hmm. Even the Cobra Jet, and they got a Dodge version of it. Yeah. I, don't yeah. know, I don't know what they call it on Dodge. Something similar. But they are. That's a... But I, but I like to see that about the factory getting in. But, you know, some of the ideas and stuff, because some of the guys that was in the drag racing world went to work for GM and Ford and Chrysler, you know. True. And uh, they're, you know, we don't, these are not just dirt-type hot rodders out here. There's some pretty smart people out here, very smart people yeah, out Yeah, well, here. back when it was and, all in Detroit, the engineers would be, you know, they'd be racing on the weekend. racing their cars and having fun with them and circle track drag racing whatever they're doing with them and then they'd go in and work in the engineering on because you think people like bill jenkins uh well grumpy jenkins is his nickname on the thing uh bob glidden and folks like that you think okay well look at your new not new now but uh, look at that lsx block now who's the innovator of that yep pro stock guy you know so uh, and some of the other stuff that came out of that era, well, those guys there, they graduated on. Some of them went to positions with some of the car companies, and some of them went on to form other companies of specialty stuff, and that's how the, a lot of this comes around, which I'm happy for, very happy for it. And, uh, well, even like when you look at the Copo, for example, they use a Holly ECU. They use a Holly Dominator in there. Exactly, exactly. I, I was looking at that one over there a Holly this intake. weekend. I was looking inside of that thing. And, you know, they have to, there's a certain amount of stuff you have to leave it like it is, like it comes, you know. Can't touch the and, tune on it. Right. Yeah. And I was looking at that and I thought, 
How about that? How about that? A factory put it on there. Yeah, yeah. GM bought a, an ECU from <laughs> Holly. From Holly, put on their yeah. car. They went to Bowling Green, grabbed one of them. Isn't that something? Wow. Right by the Corvette Museum there. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm, but, but I like to see that because now then it, it lets us know that down the road that uh, GM may have a few tweaks for Holly or Holly have a few for GM on it. So mm -hmm. it's kind of an incorporated thing that you're going to do with some of those, I hope. Uh, but I figure yeah. it will be on the thing. They'll share some information about it. Yeah, sometimes GM definitely needs to get their credit with how much R&D their factory ECUs can do. Like how much their factory ECUs can do and the amount of R&D that went into that. Like, You know, there's a, there's a couple of parts, factory type parts on it that are pretty darn good. Those factory coils, like on the five threes and the six O's and the six mm -hmm. twos, them things are pretty good. I mean, they did they're a great job. Pretty darn good. I mean, they're, heads and they're stuff. great. And some of the and like I say, some of the cylinder heads, buy it and put it on. Horsepower yeah. right then. Yeah, they're so they're. Uh, you got to give them their due. Well, think about it. We get out here and we want to research and develop something, and if it costs us say fifty or a hundred thousand dollars, then oh, they research something. It's Five, ten, fifteen, twenty, or even fifty or a hundred million dollars on there, like ho hum. Yeah. So, and then we 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 think we're going to build a part better than them. I don't know, guys. Come on, <laughs> not going <laughs> to happen. Think about this for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> not going to happen. So you, would you consider yourself more of a GM guy? You know, you got a lot of Fords around. For here. years, for years, I was probably a dyed and wool GM because that's where I worked at in the dealership. But you know, I can't kick Fords because two of the fastest cars I've ridden in with the factory stuff is them trucks. Mm -hmm. Man, I mean, there is a stock Coyote engine. One's got a whip, one's got a turbocharger on it. Yeah. And they're pretty nasty, boys. I mean, yeah. to tell you they're nasty. Stock and that's ECU. A, that's a 302 cubic inch. Mm -hmm. And you're saying, well, there's a lot of stuff goes in. I understand, but you still, that's a 302 cubic inch engine. Yes, it's got dual overhead cams. I understand that on it. But you can take that stock engine and, yeah, pretty darn... It's not a small turbo on that thing either. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you can only make six or 800. Now, you think about that a minute. Only. <laughs> people say, oh, it's only got 600. 600 horses is a handful. And not because I'm old. I mean, it's just a handful. Yeah. You know, you get out here and, uh, yeah, it can get you in trouble. It'll get you all the speeding tickets you can call, haul home, you know. And you get up around 900 or 1,000. They're just tire spinners, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're impressive on the noise that they make and good make good marks on the dyno. But when you get out in reality with street tires, some guy with like four or five hundred horse, and you get down light for light, he's gonna be waiting on his next light. It's like okay, but now out here on the big end somewhere, yeah, you'll go by him. You sure will. But on the quick stuff, yeah, yeah, you sure will. Maybe I only got a hundred eighty cubic inch. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Isn't that great? Oh. Man, I, I like, haven't even hit the 200 cubic inch zone man, I on like that thing. Them things. Oh, they're so. But you think about that engine. That was the epitome of engines because it had the the bore to stroke and the way that the the way the air enters. You know, you want air to where you have the least amount of bend to it. So the air comes in on the intake side, across the head. You know, with lots of voucher out the exhaust and it's gone. Yeah, all flat. Whereas right some of the others, you know, the car comes in, it's got to go up or whatever and go around stuff and down this and that. Those things, look at the way that it can air intake straight across and out. Yep. Man, they're, 
the cylinder head is unreal on those cars. <laughs> Yamaha designed it. Them guys, knew, I'm telling you what, they, they knew what they were doing on it. And, mm -hmm. uh, they're, and then the bottom end of it, you know, that, that cradle in the bottom. For two-bolt main. <laughs> exactly. And, and look, at the, look at where the oil pump is. Now look at where the oil pump is on a GM. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Yeah. Sitting right up front in front of the crank. Mm -hmm. Well, look at the, look at them LSs. Sitting right up in front of the crank. And saying, well, they didn't steal it from them. Who knows, you know, who knows? I mean, but it is up there, and it's a good positive stuff on it. Yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> um, I guess to wrap this up, uh, where did you get started with uh, James and Garrett, JT? Oh, <laughs> here's what, let me tell you how that came about. You're not related I, to anyone. No, I had, um, I moved out here in 92, and it was to get away from the city. Well, my, Rick and I had this business downtown, and we sold that. That was a few years back. And uh, I said, well, what am I going to do? And I said, well, I want to build a garage and uh, just tinker with my own cars, which after a while it gets, yeah, I mean, it's fun, but, like, you need to be around people. Well, James <laughs> moved in next door. And uh, one time, and I knew those guys. I used to see them at the track, you know, and tell them hello, but that's about the extent of it. And I remember I was out there one Sunday evening, and he said, hey, why don't you come by the shop sometime? I said, okay. I said, well, I'll just come by there tomorrow. And he said, yeah, Garrett will be there. Come on by. So I did, and he introduced me to Garrett, but, but I knew him before. He introduced me to him. And so Garrett says, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I sold the business, and now then, you know, just tinkered my own cars. And he said, well, tell me about the business, what we did. And I did. And he said, well, hmm, what do you think of our shop? And I said, what's good? He said, what do you think of our cars? And I said, mechanically they're good I said they look pretty bad and he said what and I said they do look pretty bad and he said I suppose you could fix that and I said well if I got the opportunity he said I'll tell you what why don't you try that one right there and he pointed at Ruby and I said okay fine well he was going out of town for a couple of days and I think he'd done it for a joke and I took it serious and uh, I went over and dove in on that thing and when he came back he walked in and he said I don't believe it. He said, man, I apologize. I said, ain't no, no need to apologize. He said, well, could you do others? And I said, sure. Which one you got? And he said, how about that blazer there? I said, sure. So then I've done another one. He said, hey, how'd you like to be on the team? And I said, I think it'd be fantastic. And he said, well, come on. So that's kind of a brief synopsis, but that's really how it went. And uh, then into it a little later, I said, you know, we could do some products together. And he said, yeah. So I said, yeah, I can get some made where I used to own it down there. And that's how the products thing came about. But, you know, and I got to say, to be with those guys, it's a privilege beyond compare. Well, all of you, I mean, to get to be around you guys, because it's something that to the normal person or the regular person, if you will, it's something that they would They'll never get the experience. Yeah. And that's, that's no slam. It's just they'll never get the experience. No, yeah, I mean, it's just... The, the community of it is so small. And I, I, every day, when I wake up every day, I think, man, God, I get to be with them guys today, you know, and get to be around them cars. And then I get to see guys like you at the track and be around them and then when we go to events. It's, it's truly a privilege, and I, and I never downgrade it none. Well, now you have a fan base that follows you around the it's, tracks. That... It's incredible. And I told Garrett, I remember I telling him, I said, Garrett, if I can't bring something good and positive to your organization, I said, I'll fire myself. I won't, I won't do it. And he said, no, no, that's all right. 
But I said, I think because of my age, I said, I think I can bring something to you. And he said, really, what's that? And I said, you got to have some old people. I said, who's the oldest guy in your shop? And at that time, somebody was like 29. He wasn't even 30. I think it might have been tied right about 29 or so. And I said, that? I said, you got a big gap here, you know, from that to here. And I said, a lot of these grandpas out here and grandmas and bringing their children and all like that, bringing the grandchildren. And I said, we could do something with that. And he said, all right. Okay. I said, you need some of these old people around. And he said, okay. <laughs> so he teases me about that a lot. But anyway, and there's, and I do see, not tooting my own horn, but I do see a lot of older people coming in. And some of them want to talk about the good old days, you know, and like, and I tell them, yeah, I, I can talk about that, but you know, none of it's coming back, but it's fun to talk about it, you know, and remember some of that stuff. And a lot of them grew up a lot like I did, you know, that uh, remember some of the old stuff working on it. But back to what the organization is, it's, it's so unique. There's, there's not two of them out there, even though there's a lot of YouTubers, they, don't get me wrong. But it's so unique, that one. And that guy is, his brain goes 100 miles an hour. Yep. He'll come in the morning, and he's got 50 ideas on stuff. We're going, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And I look at him sometimes, and I think, man, what, do you even sleep? Because he is, I mean. I think he keeps a notepad in the shower. I guarantee he's got, <laughs> he's got to be writing stuff down all the time. Because he'll come in and say, okay, what was on yesterday? Put on hold just a little bit. Here's what we're going to do. But some of the stuff is, and it's, and I know he sleeps with that phone, that camera. I know he just, he must just film himself in his sleep, you know. <laughs> Anywhere the, he goes, like, YouTube life. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's what he told me. It's exactly what he told me. He yeah, said, I was teasing about it one time, be. and he said, that's the way it has to be, Sam. He said, uh, the amount when of you people get, that get to live through it. When you get up to that, he said, you'll see. He said, when you get up to that, it's expected to do it. And then he says, demanded that you do it. And I said, well, okay, it's fine. So we were up at Bristol. <laughs> he said, all right. He said, that bunch of people over there is waiting on you. And I said, oh, come on. He said, there's my group here. And he said, go on over there. And it was, and it's such a, it's a humbling thing. It really is. And, and I looked, I was standing there and, oh, it was like a three-hour session and it was full the whole time. And I remember looking over to the side one time and I thought, and it was my own daughter. She'd come over from Asheville and she said, I said, Steph, what are you doing? She said, I've been watching you. And I said, dang, well, come over. No, she said, go ahead. Wait till the time's up on the thing. It was uh, unbelievable. And she said, I can't believe you. I said, well, I can't believe it either. You know, it was just like, it's stuff that you, you dream about and you think about and you think, nah, I can never get there. Well, think about you. Would you have thought you were in a position that you're in just a few years back? Would you even? Nope. If someone had mentioned it to you, you'd have probably said, nah. Oh, yeah, I mean, when me and Garrett started, it was a two-car garage, and we had one car between the two of us. <laughs> Think about that. I mean, and, and that's, that's not a long time ago, you know? Yeah. And, and now then, look at the both of you now. It's, it's incredible, and I'm very happy for the both of you. I mean, and I mean that. I mean, it's not, and I don't say that in a jealous fashion. I'm super happy for you guys, so make it, make it go even more so on the thing. And the, when the events come up, you talk about a humbling experience. When you go to an event and somebody comes over and says, I know you, I've been watching you, and you have no idea who they are. Yeah. I don't know you. No, I know you don't, but I've been watching you. Okay. And I always tell people, well, then we're friends. Grant <laughs> told me one time, he said, uh, something about this. I said, I better tell you. And I said, yeah, what's that? And he said, no more bad days. And I said, well, I don't have any anyway. And he said, no. 
And he said, remember, no matter where you are, you're probably being filmed or somebody taking a picture. And I said, okay. And it's amazing. You, you go out somewhere now? I went down yesterday and got gas to gas station. And the guy said, hey, Sam, how you doing? I've never seen a guy before. And he said, I watch all your stuff. Okay. And, but you can't. You just think about it. If you go out there and pitch one of these little fits, a little, little hissy fit of some kind, yeah. somebody's going to say, oh, okay. Get mad at the guy at the okay. checkout counter okay. or something. That's what he told me. He said, you have bad service to the restaurant? He said, just, I was okay. Yep, just walk away. And he said, you know, because you caused a scene. He said, they're going to say, hey, isn't that so-and-so? Okay. I said, all right, I got it. I got it. I can do that. Yeah, it's a tough thing. It's a tough, we tough little balance. Back. And to show his popularity, we were coming back from an event, and we're out in the country. And he says, I got to stop and check the oil in El Camino. I mean, we're miles from nowhere. Dark is like 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the morning. And pulled into the station. And they had the car jacked up. And I remember this guy drove in. And he looked for a minute. And he got out. And he walked over and he said, is that Cletus? And I said, yeah. And he said, could I get his autograph? I said, no, I can't answer that. I said, you know, right now, see, he's busy underneath the car. So Garrett come out and he says, I'll do it in just a few minutes. He said, give me a few minutes on this. Well, I must have called somebody because there's nothing flat. There's like 20 people here. And we're out in the middle of nowhere. So he got out and he had to have a little photo and autograph session there and we got ready to go and he said that's what I mean I said I got you okay yeah. and it's uh, but I'm, I'm very happy for him I told him I said you can't go out and cheat on your wife or nothing like that I said you're too visible but <laughs> he's not I mean anywhere you go like I know that guy yeah I'm okay yep so, it's, it's definitely a um, right in the public type of world but you're the same because anywhere you go somebody walk right up to you and say hey Cabrera how you doing you're like Mm, I don't think I know that guy. Yeah, but I have, I've, I have, um, I've been told I have an unapproachable look to me. <laughs> <laughs> so even if you do know, recognize me, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. He was like, "Oh, he looks unapproachable." I'm, oh, like, I'm a pretty nice guy. That's, <laughs> you know, it's like he's okay. Well, he's saying, okay. He looks mad. I'm like, he's not. Like sometimes they tell me about Ty. Is he really mad? No, he just doesn't talk a lot. He's not a he's not an integrator here here on the thing. He just doesn't talk a lot. And I said, go and talk to him. He won't bite you, you know, because he yeah. and I rode together on the sick week. I said, well, talk to him. He's not going to bite you. you know, it it good. works good for events though, because you don't get swarmed as much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Only no. the people that are really fans that are tough enough to walk up to somebody who they think is angry. <laughs> like, okay, that's a real fan right there. He's like, okay, I'm, but I'm I'll ready. tell you guys, I'm I'm not. It's just my look. Well. But I am, I'm very happy for you because it's, it's such a privilege. It, it really is. And I know I've said that several times, but it is such a privilege to be and a humbling privilege too, to get to be around these people. And because, as I've said so many times, if you took the fans away, what would we have? Yeah, I mean. Nothing, you know, it'd be like, yeah. dang. So I, I appreciate the fans. Oh, big time. Oh. More than you know, I appreciate the fans. Our camera died, but our mics didn't, so we're fine. Okay. We can keep talking. But, you know, I, I appreciate them. I mean, they, they pay good, hard-earned money to come to these events to see us. And, yeah. and like Garrett tells us before each event, hey, guys, we're the show. They come to see the show. Yep. Okay. So, and, and if they've come to see the show, then let's show them the show. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with him 100% because 
They don't, they don't want to come see a bunch of sour people. That's not what it's all about. I mean, they come to be entertained, and you guys are the entertainers on the thing. They, and that's what they come to see. They come for the entertainment. They come to see the show, and don't let them down. I remember when we was at Maryland. He said, when you, the, where it was parked at the end, come around, the truck's right here, and when you open it to come out, like I said, we slept in it. And he said, when you walk out there, he said, the fans are going to be there already. Yep. And sure enough, walked out and boom, nothing worse. He said, you better be, he said, you better be camera ready when you yeah. come out there. Freezing so, okay. cold, bright and early. It was cold, my. Whew. Come out in the other one. Hey. So, okay. It's great. That's, That's Maryland. Maryland. That's why we came. That's why we're here. So I just stayed out there with it. It was great. Yeah, Maryland's yeah. interesting because it's, it's in a spot where they don't get to do that stuff much. Exactly, exactly. So it's, it's a it, big treat for them. Like here a, in Florida, you know, you see the same guy at multiple yeah, events. Yeah. You know, you start, to, you start to know these people. Like, people come up to me at Test and Tunes, and I talk to them through multiple mm -hmm. Test and Tunes. But, but I remember there at Maryland, it was so unique because they'd come from so far away to just that event, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we don't get to do this much. And it's like, and then this past year, I said, this weather is unbelievable. It was warm. It was very warm. It's like, yeah, this is nice. And they're like, well, last year, yeah, I know last year, I thought we were all going to freeze to death, but it was so nice, very nice. Um, it, was a, it was an impressive track. They had good people there, real good people. Yeah, long night that day. And you know the, the job that Garrett got me there? You remember that? He came over and he said, I got you a job for this afternoon. And I said, yeah, right. And he said, no, I got you a job. And I said, what Honey. is that? And he said, are you going to be a judge of running a bikini contest? And I said, yeah, right. So he said, it's at 2.30. And I said, okay. So at 2 o'clock he came around and he said, you better go over there. And I'm thinking that, okay, just as soon as I leave, all the guys are going to yeah, say, yeah. Nah, we got you. So I said, well, okay. So someone took me over in a golf cart. Got over there and I told them who my name was. And they said, oh, yeah, this is your seat right here. I said, oh, my. <laughs> it was so... <laughs> It was fantastic. Yeah, that's a, oh, that's a good job. That was, it was unbelievable. Came back and he said, I told you I had your job. I said, man, I don't know when to take you serious. He said, well, okay, there it was. And it was, it was great. It was, it was a nice sunny day for them to do it. So <laughs> it's good. Well, we'll wrap this one up here. Um, that's great. That was a fun sit down. We will be sure to um, do one again in maybe a few months from now. I'm sure you have plenty more stories. Well, I know I was, I know I was hogging, hogging the microphone there, and I apologize. But uh, is this stuff I'd like to leave with people uh, that, that do watch it and say, okay, there are people out there that have done some of these things. And I look forward to seeing a lot of these people at the tracks because mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be, this year's going to be a big year. Big year. We've got lots of events coming up. And I know we'll be together, Adam, and I'm looking forward to that, too. It's yeah. going to be great. I'm excited for it. Great. Well, guys, Sam, you can buy his detailing products on CleusMcFarland.com. You can follow him on Sam Feel the Shine at yes. Instagram. Yeah. And, um, guys, I hope it was good. I hope it wasn't too echoey in here. And, uh, Sam, thank you so much for being on. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Cooper. I appreciate the privilege of getting to do it and i mean that i really do that's it's quite an honor quite an honor in the end goal is like this video and us talking gets put out there forever that's yeah that's my long-term goal on these videos is people can listen to this in 10 20 30 years and isn't that amazing they'll say who are those people yeah <laughs> we got spaceships now <laughs> oh who are those people Auto. <laughs> all right guys thank you so much for watching we'll see you next see time <laughs> With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, 
Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.